This is episode 52 of the Kindred Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sue Allen. Thank you so much for being here to catch this episode of the Kindred Mom Podcast. Today's episode is all about freedom from fear and anxiety. And if that is something that you have navigated yourself as a mom in any way, I think that you will gain a lot from the guests that I have to share with you today. We are doing a whole series over on kindermom.com this month on freedom and motherhood. So this is just one part of our conversation. And I think it's an important part. It's definitely a personal and kind of tender part of my story. And I just learned so much from the ladies that are about to share with you. So I hope that you enjoy these interviews. The first guest I have is Meredith McDaniel. She is a licensed counselor and mom, and we talk a lot about anxiety and what that looks like in the life of a mom. She has a personal story about walking through postpartum anxiety, which I found to be incredibly insightful and something that I could relate to in a really personal way. And then I also had a guest, Maria Furlow. She is the author of Breaking the Fear Cycle. Maria's story is gripping. I will warn you ahead of time, it's a little bit of a tough story, um, but she is full of hope and wisdom and really has practical tools about how you can face fear in your life in a proactive way. I love both of these interviews and hope that you find a lot of encouragement as you listen. Thanks for being here. I'm really glad to be joined today by a sweet friend that I met online, and I just want to say from the beginning that we're going to be talking today about fear and anxiety and kind of how that plays a role in our motherhood journey. So please welcome Meredith McDaniel. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. And, you know, this is a really important topic to me because there have been a lot of years that I myself struggled with um, anxiety and fear, although it's just kind of one of those things where I'm gaining more clarity on it as I've had some distance from it. And um, because I don't know a lot about your story and your family and what lens you are coming to this topic with, I'd love for you to just share a little bit about those things so our listeners know as well. Sure, Emily. Well, I live in North Carolina and my husband and I um, work with a ministry called Young Life that Mm -hmm. spends time with high schoolers and college students. And we have been doing that since we were in middle school and high school. Mm. Um, So it has been a long run in that ministry for us. So we are constantly entering into people's stories and getting to hear about the things that they are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. Um, And in, in addition to that, I'm also a licensed counselor and have my own private practice um, called Milk and Honey Counseling here in North Carolina. So mm-hmm. um, we, that, that is our heartbeat is to, you know, hear where people are in their life and the things that they're um, dealing with and struggling with. And it's, it always ends up being two way. You know, mm-hmm. when I hear about um, high schoolers or college students or women struggling with anxiety or depression, um, I can relate to a mm-hmm. lot of what they are saying. I think a lot of times people think that, you know, men or women in ministry or counselors or helping professions, um, kind of maybe, maybe they have their stuff all together. (laughs) And I am just here to say that that is not true. I think on the topic of anxiety and depression, we all 
struggle with that to some degree on some level on some spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just want to say that that is kind of where I'm coming from. Anxiety and depression are something that I have battled in my own life. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is also something that I help other people walk through. Yeah. And I just love your honesty in that because I also feel like this is a topic that is relatable because even if someone hasn't had maybe the highest level of crisis in this area, doesn't mean that they haven't experienced something that's been really impactful in their lives. And for me, it's been a really shaping part of a lot of years for me. And so I'm just glad that you're here and that we're able to talk about this in a really safe space. And I also want to know how old are your children and what is motherhood like for you in the context of this topic? Sure. Well, we now have three elementary aged kids. I have a kindergartner that is my daughter, and then we have a um, first grader and a third grader that are our two sons. And actually this year has been a big transition year for our family because we just moved out of our old school district. Mm -hmm. And so we are in a new community um, as far as school goes. And there has been a lot of anxiety around our house um, in the last semester, um, just with that transition. And, you know, that's one point I would like to make, Emily, is, you know, when you feel the anxiety of your kids, your own anxiety can start to rise. I mean, just the last couple days, my oldest has been coming home just with his own you know, developmental worries. And I have felt my own, you know, chest getting tight and not really knowing exactly how to navigate all of that with him. Um, So it's something that, you know, each of them have different personalities. And so they each kind of relate in the world in a different way. And so their anxiety um, each looks different. I totally have a similar experience with my, I have six kids and they range in age from two to 12. And so their different personalities and what is on their mind, what worries them, what kind of are the repeat things that come up in their minds as like, this is a big deal and this needs to be paid attention to is pretty unique to each one. And so I definitely have had that same experience. And I would love to know from you, just from your clinical experience, as well as your motherhood experience, um, how you would identify or if you would identify a difference between the low level everyday kind of anxiety and something that's maybe a little bit more significantly debilitating and how you might know when you're in one camp or another? Yes, that is a great question because like I said earlier, I think we all have some level of anxiety. Um, So it's important to pay attention to, you know, what are those kind of red flags or what is a way to identify when I really might need to reach out for some extra support or extra help? And, And before I go into that, I would like just to say, you know, that is not a sign of weakness. And I can share a personal story about that maybe in a little while. Um, but when we start to, to notice, okay, this is starting to take over more of my headspace and mm-hmm. more of my life than it was before. Um, and we notice maybe a subtle shift or people, you know, that are our primary relationships like our spouse or our close friends, um, you know, maybe they, they start to make a few comments and say, you know, you're, you're, um, acting a little differently than you normally do. And maybe they aren't even noticing, but you're just internally feeling like, 
um, things are becoming, you know, more overwhelming. Maybe you're waking up in the middle of the night, Mm -hmm. um, processing and looping through different thoughts. Um, Maybe you've experienced, you know, your first panic attack, or maybe you've had a few and you're having these physical reactions, or you're having something that is just starting to consume you and affect your daily life. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a good indicator that it might be a time, um, you know, just to reach out and to get some more support. If that's through counseling, um, or even maybe through your church that, you know, there's a few different ways to kind of go about that initially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I appreciate you kind of teasing that out a bit. And I guess I, because I don't have a counseling background, either as a professional or someone who has been to counseling, I would love Mm -hmm. to know just your insight into kind of the escalation of anxiety. Um, Like if there are steps or levels or ways to quantify or identify kind of the level of anxiety that you're at in order to be able to communicate, like what is the language around the role that anxiety has in someone's life if they are seeking out support? Sure. Well, and I think um, really that physical piece is, is huge. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't, you don't want to wait until, you're getting there, you know, like multiple times a day to where Mm -hmm. you're reaching out to somebody. I think that when you start to feel any sort of physical reaction to your anxiety and and you start to notice a pattern, like this is happening, Mm -hmm. you know, every day, maybe, maybe even this is happening, you know, right when I'm waking up before my feet even hit, hit the ground, I'm feeling tightness in my chest. I'm feeling like I'm clammy or dizzy or nauseous, mm-hmm. um, just not feeling like myself, mm-hmm. that is a really good indicator and, and time that, that it would be helpful, yeah. you know, to bring somebody else in to help you out. I think I would just say that, you know, you've got your kind of average anxiety. Like if you look at statistics for 2019 and you were to Google, you know, who has anxiety mm-hmm. in the United States? I just read the other day that there's 40 million adults mm-hmm. um, who are suffering from anxiety. So that is 18% mm-hmm. of our population and half of those people are also suffering from depression. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's hard to to give a language really honestly mm-hmm. to kind of the way that it can escalate, mm-hmm. but I would say, you know, there's lots of different disorders under the umbrella of anxiety. So, you know, a lot of times I diagnose people in my practice with generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the truth is, I think we could probably all have that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, there's others that are a little more um, specific as far as, you know, a fear of you know, being with people like more of a social anxiety and a fear of, of leaving your home of, which seems extreme, but you know, that, that happens on different levels for people and they might not even realize it, but they're, they're starting to isolate and stay at home because they don't want to have to deal with the environments outside of their home, um, crowds, you know, lots of noise, lots of light, things that they're more hypersensitive Mm -hmm. to. And, you know, another piece of this that, that we haven't mentioned yet is hormones, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, a lot of the women who I'm sure are listening to your podcast are are battling hormones to some degree, Mm -hmm. if it's in pregnancy or if it's post-pregnancy, you know, whatever stage of life that, that women are in, um, hormones can play a huge role in, in our different levels of anxiety. Um, and that's when, you know, some thoughts that we're not used to can start coming through our mind, panic attacks and, um, things of that nature can be more prevalent. Yeah. 
Yeah, you mentioned a few minutes ago about having a personal story about anxiety. I would love to hear a real life example of how you have navigated anxiety. Yes. Well, Emily, this is this is pretty vulnerable mm-hmm. and I have written about this before. So some people have have maybe read about it, but you know, when our kids were really little, when we had three, mm-hmm. you know, five and under, we were in a financially tight space. My practice was just starting to get off the mm-hmm. ground. My husband was a little unsure if we were going to be able to stay in the same town long term. And I had just had our third baby. So let's say I think my boys were probably, you know, four, two, and then I had just had, you know, had about a six month old. And my hormones with that pregnancy were different than my other two. And I don't know if it was a combination of just everything I just listed off that was going on in our life, um, which is enough to give you anxiety, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But I do think it was something different about this pregnancy. And maybe it was me having the the two 18 months apart and having them really close together. Mm -hmm. But my body was just, um, my brain chemistry was off. It was not level and balanced the way that it it normally was after my births. And because of that, I found myself one morning, my husband had just left to go on a a, um, trip with some high schoolers up in Canada Mm -hmm. um, at a camp up there. And I was sitting at our dining room table. I had one napping. I had one sitting in his high chair, you know, chopping up all the food and the food's hitting the wall. (laughs) Um, you know, and then I've got one that is nursing. And I haven't even had breakfast. I didn't have a lot of sleep. My husband tells me he's not going to, you know, have phone service for 10 days. I get a ding on my phone. That's an alert from our bank telling us that this is the, this was literally the first time. And thankfully the only time since that, that we had gone, you know, in the negative on our bank account. So I am sitting in my chair, you know, I've got counseling clients a few days from now. I mean, I, I had my first real full-fledged panic attack in that moment, Emily. And, um, you know, to be honest, my initial reaction was no one needs to know about this. I am a strong woman. Um, you know, I'm a Christian. I have Jesus. Like I'm going to push through this. I'm going to get through this. Um, but my body was screaming, no, you're not going to get, you're not going to get through this alone. You're going to have to really tap into your people. So the way that I dealt with it, you know, I called my neighbor, Mm -hmm. she came and got my one that was napping and the one in my high chair, took them to her house, you know, sat me down some breakfast. Um, and I kept taking care of the the little newborn. Um, I called my sister who lived States away. And I said, I'm going to need you to come help me this week. I've got three little ones. I thought I could do it my own strength. I'm going to have to cancel all my clients for this week. I mean, it was just, I am waving the white flag. I ended up reconnecting with my counselor that I hadn't seen in a few Mm -hmm. years, um, which was such a great gift just to have that relationship already established. Um, She already knew my backstory and it was kind of, you know, preventative care (laughs) for a moment like this when I, I was a, you know, I was above my head in stress and anxiety and, um, I needed a village of people around me to support me. I feel like that's such a powerful story. And I really thank you for sharing. It is super vulnerable to share things like this. I have a story of my own that I, as I was just preparing for us to connect today, I just, I was like, I don't want to share this story, but I feel like I should. (laughs) And since you were brave, Mm -hmm. I'll be brave. And so I have um, something that I'd be curious kind of, your professional thoughts after I share, because I haven't sure. sought out help 
or didn't at the time. It's been years since this happened, but it is something that kind of just, I, I think you might have insight that I don't have. <laughs> um, but when I, my fifth baby was born, I have six and they're ages two to 12. I had had fairly uncomplicated pregnancies, good outcomes with the births, and even like the newborn phase Obviously, there's always a transition and the kind of the mayhem of like figuring things out all over again and the new dynamics of a family and everything. But um, mm-hmm. with the arrival of my fifth baby, which that had been the one complicated pregnancy that I'd had, and um, it was the first home birth that I also had. Um, so mm-hmm. those first four months of her life, it was kind of like it was not normal what was going on. I felt like every single time that I laid her down to go to sleep, she would sleep. I would go do what I was doing. And I, when I would return to her crib, I was convinced every time that she would not be breathing when I got there. And like my heart would mm-hmm. race and I'd be like, that's not true. She's going to be fine. Like I had this like war in my thoughts of what one thing was saying. And then this other like thought of like, I'm just going to just going to go scoop her up. It's going to be fine. (laughs) You know, it was just kind of that very, like what you're describing, a very physical anxiety about just being really convinced that she wasn't going to be breathing by the time I got back to her. And of course she was fine. I mean, she's still here with us today. And, but it was like so constant and so pervasive for those four straight months. Mm -hmm. And I, at the time really, I mean, it wasn't like it was my normal experience of motherhood, but I didn't really know that that might be something to talk about with somebody. And it was, to me, felt kind of like a spiritual thing that I just was like, well, if I just pray and ask God for relief from this and that sort of thing, that, um, that it would come. And it did. But as I look back on it and the more I've learned about postpartum, anxiety and and other things that women deal with, um, which is something that I just didn't really have a lot of knowledge about, even though I'd had several babies. I just wonder if that was like a postpartum anxiety disorder or some kind of, because it was really like a very night and day difference at around four months that it just completely went away. And then I was able to mother her the way that I'd mothered my others with just a sense of peace and joy and kind of carried on about business. But yeah, that was one of those things that I was like, that was way out of left field for me. It was so different than my other experiences. And um, I don't know if you have thoughts about that or if if moms have worries, especially in that very tender, vulnerable postpartum period, uh, what you have to say about that. Yes. Emily, thank you for sharing that because that brings up so many points, um, trying to decide where to go first. Um, I think you know, it's such a good point that every pregnancy is different. Mm -hmm. So we, we think that, oh, we've done this before. It's going to be the same way every time, which we know births are all different, but you know, that postpartum period, I think we need to remind ourselves as women and, and our husbands, um, and our friends that, that it can look different every time. So there's, there's freedom in that to realize, um, that there, there's a difference. And then I think, um, you know, basically what you were experiencing is kind of that phrase I used earlier, which is that Mm -hmm. looping, you know, when you kind of get that repetitive fear that is happening over and over and over again, you know, the neural pathways in our brain actually change. Mm -hmm. And it's been fascinating for me to read more about the brain and neurology more recently, because they are just finding out so much more Mm -hmm. every day, you know, 
um, as far as the way our brains operate. And so there is a way that, um, our brains can kind of get stuck on a, on a loop where we're, we're kind of hyper-focusing on the same thing over and over. And that sounds like that's what mm-hmm. was happening, you know, with this particular postpartum period for you. And I also like that you distinguished between postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, because a lot of times people don't know that the postpartum anxiety is a real mm-hmm. thing. And it is, um, sometimes, you know, you, you love your baby and you're not, uh, you know, the, the woman sitting in the chair who's disinterested in her baby and has the baby blues, mm-hmm. you know, in quotes. Um, but you have more of that anxiety piece and mm-hmm. it does sound like, um, I think you and me both got a little mm-hmm. taste of that after <laughs> yeah. these, these little ladies that we birthed. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, oh, it's, it's something that we need to talk about more. We can suffer in silence and mm-hmm. we can get lost in our own minds and our own heads, like I said earlier, um, and just feel like, you know, what is wrong with me? This is not normal for me, but I don't know how to talk to other people about it. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, I think what a counselor can do um, is really help people process um, in a safe place um, you know, just what they're dealing with. And like you said earlier, give them language, which can help them and give them practical tools to kind Mm -hmm. of get out of that sooner. Mm -hmm. Um, that being said, this is the last thing I'll say on this is, you know, that can last anywhere from early pregnancy Mm -hmm. to after you're kind of finished breastfeeding, if that's Mm -hmm. something that you are choosing to do with your baby, um, because that's kind of when your hormones actually level off. And so Mm -hmm. for me, it, you know, that anxiety stuck around for me way longer than I would have liked. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have rather not been there at all in the first place, but it was yeah. not until we stopped nursing, um, maybe a few weeks or even a month after that my body sort of kind of came back to where it was before. And yeah. sometimes it doesn't even do that. And so I think that is a place where, you know, you talk to your counselor and you talk to your primary care doctor, OBGYN, midwife, um, you know, do I need to, to think about medication? Is that something that, you know, even just for a season to kind of recalibrate my system, um, is that something that I'm a candidate for and something that, that could really benefit me? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, it's good to mention just, just asking about it doesn't mean that you're having to set up in motion a whole, like, wild shift of your life, you know, like, I think I just didn't know it was something to mention to my midwife that I saw who I had a really trusting and wonderful relationship with. And I know she probably would have picked up on it had I just even breathed a word. I just didn't. I didn't know that I should or that I could, or I just felt like I just need to do this on my own (laughs) for, I think, something that a lot of moms just do. And I think there's a lot of cultural pressure too for women to just get back in the saddle of life and mm-hmm. I, the more children I've had, and I'm pregnant with my seventh baby right now, due in April. <laughs> and so I just feel like it took me at least five babies <laughs> to realize when you have a baby, you take the time after to recover and to rest yes. and to receive help from people and to like, and that that is not weakness. That is not, you can't hack it as a mom. Like that's smart to just say, these are my real limitations. And my body has been through so much to, (laughs) you know, grow this baby, birth this baby, and then navigate the, especially the first six months after it's just a time that really needs to be guarded and protected and, I know we can't all just take like six months of maternity leave from life or anything. So, I mean, there's just a lot of nuances in there that 
you do what you have to do. But I just know, like with my first several babies, I, I for sure within two weeks was like, I'll make all the dinners and I'll do all the laundry and I'll, you know, mm-hmm. and I just, I feel like my husband now knows because I've been really honest with him. Like we're taking the full amount of time that you get off and I'm going to let you and ask you to do all the things that you're able to do. And as soon as I really am rested and recovered, like I'll be a hundred percent in, um, I just think it took me a long time to realize that I should or could do that. And that it's not selfish, right? Um, you know, you think about the flight attendant, I know this is such an overused example, but such a good one for motherhood. You know, we've got to put our oxygen mask on first and that that is not selfish because it is going to have a ripple effect into our marriage, into our family, into our friendships and our whole community if we care for ourselves. And I think we can do that in little ways. Like if it's going out and walking and sweating and drinking a lot of water and taking our vitamins, you know, getting that vitamin D and vitamin B in you, um, you know, whatever those little, little things, which is, you know, it takes two seconds in the mornings to pop those (laughs) in your mouth. Um, And we need to do that because we have little human beings that are pulling from us all day long. Um, So we need to replenish ourselves in order to love them best. Yeah. Well, and I had a good conversation with my midwife more recently um, since that more difficult time of anxiety that I had. And she was just talking about her observations with women that take like a good month of really focusing on rest and that adjustment Mm -hmm. period, um, recovering from birth. The ones who will like really intentionally pursue that rejuvenation after such a big event seem to do much better in the months following. Whereas like some who just kind of get back in the swing of things a weekend or two weeks in, they end up like bleeding for longer. They end up with more just compounded issues because they just haven't had a chance really to recover. And it prolongs that process. And I think it is harder on the family in general. Um, even though in the moment, I think it, it does feel a little bit selfish, like, yeah, you take care of all the housework, I'll just take a nap. <laughs> um, but I just think <laughs> it's really important. So um, that's what I've learned through six births well, so far. <laughs> you have learned a lot. And I'm so excited. Congratulations oh, on number thank seven. You. Thank <laughs> you. I'm excited too. Little tiny bit wow. anxious, but <laughs> that's, that's yes. uh, you know, it's just a big event every time. So Well, and doesn't the Lord just give us what we need, though, every day? I mean, uh, I've been been writing a lot about that lately, just how He... he goes before us, you know, and he, he is enough. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think about the verse in Isaiah, Isaiah 43, where uh, I, we used to sing this song in college um, at one of our, you know, I don't know wherever we were, but um, the verse about, you know, when you pass through the waters that mm-hmm. I am with you. And I think we can feel, you know, like the waters are just going to overtake us sometimes in motherhood. And um, I can imagine with seven, you will feel like that at times. You can say, if you say the word really slow, I'll start freaking out because I'm like, seven (laughs) is a really big number of children. But it's the the perfect number, right? Um, Number of completion is what my husband keeps saying. (laughs) Hilarious. So funny. But yeah, he's, he goes before us and he's going to meet us where we are. And I think part of the gifts that the Lord gives us Mm -hmm. is the resources and the, um, the communities that we have around us to help us um, when we 
do feel in over our head or when we do feel overwhelmed or we do feel anxious. Hmm. Well, I just appreciate your insight and all the really wonderful information and encouragement you have shared. And I would love for our listeners to know where they can find you online and read more of your writing. Um, I would love to link to that article that you shared with me prior to this conversation and um, anything else that you would love to share about your writing journey and your current projects. Sure. Thank you, Emily. Um, well, I mostly hang out on Instagram. So I kind of do some micro blogging, I guess is what they call it these days. Mm -hmm. Um, so you can find me there at Meredith underscore McDaniel. Mm -hmm. And I also write on Meredith McDaniel.com. And there is a link to my um, counseling site, milk and honey, um, through that website. Mm -hmm. Um, I also just finished my first manuscript for my first book. Mm -hmm. Um, that's going to be releasing in about a year. Um, so you can look for that just after Christmas, about this time next year. Um, and that's going to be with Ravel Publishing Company. Um, so I'm really excited um, to get that into the hands of some people. And it really does cover a lot of what we talked about today, mm -hmm. actually, um, but kind of all the hot topics within mental health um, and just what it looks like, you know, like I said, as Jesus goes before us um, and how he is, he is enough and that enough kind of plays out in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I can't wait to follow up when your book comes out and um, just connect with you more on social media. Thanks, Emily. This episode, we're talking a bit about anxiety and fear in motherhood, and I am really pleased to be welcoming a guest on this show who has written a wonderful book that would be a great read for any mom who is kind of working through this topic. Um, it is called Breaking the Fear Cycle, How to Find Peace for Your Anxious Heart, and the wonderful author of this book is Maria Furlow. Welcome, Maria. Thank you, Emily. I'm so excited to be here with you. I'm really glad to have you. And this is a topic that I think is very personal for moms because even though fear is a part of our experience, even before motherhood, there's something that just kind of ratchets up the <laughs> intensity of it, I think, when we have the little people that we love that we're just wanting to keep them safe and wanting to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to bless them and get them a good start in life. And yeah. I would love for you to just share about you and your family, maybe a little introduction and some of your story that has brought you face to face with fear. Yeah, well, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. Once you have little ones come into the world, it's like your heart lives outside of your body and you're loving from places that you didn't even know that you had. And it's the perfect opportunity for fear to just really grow uh, in ways that you probably didn't even know possible. So I definitely walked that road. I have five kiddos. My mm -hmm. oldest is my only daughter. She's 11. And then I have four boys after her. One of my little boys, Gideon, uh, is in heaven uh, in the arms of Jesus. And he is a big part of my fear fighting journey. Uh, when I was pregnant with Gideon, I learned that he had a, a fatal condition. And so I was going to be able to carry him full term. But then after he was born, he would not live for very long. And so it was in those uh, four months of carrying Gideon where I you know, my pregnancy was moving along beautifully. My belly was growing, but I knew that he wasn't going to be mine to keep. And those were the months that I realized just how big of a fear problem I had developed in my mothering and all of the band-aids that I had put over my fears for so long just really weren't 
strong enough anymore. And I just, I got to the place where every morning when I woke up and every night when I laid my head on the pillow, I was so gripped with fear that I, I had had to bring that to the Lord and say, you have to help me fight this thing or it's going to, I'm going to kill fear or fear is going to kill me. And so that's mm-hmm. just really the place where, um, where I found myself in my, in my mothering journey and, you know, really realizing all of those nights that I had laid down and fearing the multiple ways that my, my children could get hurt or get sick or lose their life, um, really just came barreling at me Hmm. hugely during those months. Yeah. Well, I am so sorry for the loss that you have had with Gideon and your story is gripping and tragic and also extremely redemptive in the ways that you have shared in your book, um, just walking through that experience. And so I just want to thank you for your vulnerability to share that story. I think there are a lot of moms who can relate to a loss or a trauma of some kind that are probably listening a bit closer to this conversation now that they know that little bit of it about you. And I just, you know, part of the challenge for me in wanting to draw in a guest on this topic is just knowing that fear is a different experience for every person. I mean, fear as an emotion is one that we can all identify and say, yeah, I have felt that before, or this has been my experience with fear. But I think it's a little bit tricky to say, this is exactly how you step out of it. (laughs) Because there are so many layers to what we fear and why we fear it and Mm -hmm. the different things in our experiences that kind of, I don't know, compound um, to bring that all together. And so I'm just curious what you would say to the mom who is maybe in that post-trauma space of having had a loss or had a tragedy, where would you begin with somebody who is seeing for themselves, I fear is a huge part of my life and I don't know if I want it to be a huge part of my life anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're talking about the woman who ha- whose fear is based on the fact that they've been some- through something like this before or, uh, you know, just f- the fear of the pain of living through something again or still really hurting from the grief. And I really think that it's important when we're talking about this to differentiate between pain and uh, pain from a circumstance mm-hmm. and fear from a... Um, imaginary one or one that's not yet come to pass. And that's an important differentiance to make because, you know, we don't want to undermine the fact that difficult things happen Mm -hmm. and painful things happen in this life. We are not promised a pain-free existence. And so we don't want to minimalize the the grief and the, the difficulty of being in painful circumstances. But what we don't want to do is steal any of our joyful days, any of our pain-free days with, with mental fear. And so that's really, um, that's really important. And so for me, you know, when I was pregnant after Gideon, um, you know, I, I became pregnant about eight months after Gideon had passed away with Mm -hmm. my fifth child, Samuel. And every single day I had to bring it back to the throne of God and say, again, I am afraid today that I am going to lose this child the way that I lost Gideon. And one of the mm-hmm. things that I talk about is an important process in in breaking through your fear is taking these things and wrestling with them directly with God and saying to him, 
I don't want this to happen to me. I'm afraid of this. And then allowing God the space to come back to you and say, why are you afraid of it, Maria? Why are you afraid of it, Emily? What is it about this thing that you are afraid of? And then I come back and say, it hurts too much. I love my child too much. I don't want this to happen. And then allowing God to come back and say, I know you don't, but do you trust me that I will be there for you this time, even if it did happen the way that I was there last time? And really kind of unearthing the reasons behind your fear with God, with his word in prayer. I think that differentiation is a really good point to make because of how messy emotions are and things that are wrapped up with fear. There's some other things in there that may also need attention and care and are not to just be overcome with, you know, this plan to escape fear and no longer have it rule your life. But maybe there is still uh, other emotions that really just need a a more tender hand, I guess. Um, And I love that you make that distinction. I don't know. I've just been thinking about this from my own experience that I had a long season of fearfulness for very different reasons, not something that I was necessarily fearful of losing a child or from that kind of trauma, but just fear dominating my thoughts. Um, And the kind of fear that you mentioned is something that hasn't happened yet, something that you're kind of anticipating or thinking could, and you just want to try to avoid that. So you spend all this time like kind of dwelling on this thing that you're afraid of. And I found in my early motherhood journey, when I had my first one or two babies, that extreme cautiousness and that extreme fear that was kind of driving me was something that I was really inadvertently passing on to my kids. And they were extra cautious about a lot of things, which is really nice when you want to avoid toddler tumbles and, you know, some of those things. But it just also, I realized it wasn't something I wanted to pass on to them. I wanted them to feel like they could take a risk, that they could, you know, see what they were capable of. And, you know, so I'd love for you to talk about, um, just how you have navigated with your own family, getting through the fear that you experienced um, and helping your kids process their loss as well as um, just responding to your emotional response to that situation. Yeah, it really was interesting for me to see how after I went through my journey of fighting my fear, how different of a mother that I was and how Mm -hmm. much fear was driving me as a mom. And it's so crazy because you're allowing fear to impact you as a mom. And so it's, it's affecting the way that you parent your children. And that's one of your fears, right? That you're ruining mm-hmm. your children. Yes, <laughs> so of course. It's, an awful, it's an awful scheme that the enemy has uh, to trick you that your fear is a credible source to mm-hmm. rely upon in decision-making with your kids, in decision-making about your faith as a mom, in decision-makings about you know, growing in, in your walk with Christ as your mother. And, you know, I remember one of those fears of, you know, oh, if I go to this Bible study or my child doesn't nap, then I'm, I'm being, you know, I can't do that because I need to be there as a mom, but all the while that's what I needed to be doing. So fear definitely does impact. And so one of the things that the very first, I think, important step in battling the whole fear journey is realizing that it is in fact possible 
to be free from fear. Not that fear will ever fully go away. I don't believe that it will, but it is possible to live free from it. And in fact, it's something that God talks about in his word. He calls us often to not be afraid. John 14, 27 is, is my main Bible verse that I talk on. And it's, um, it's all over my book and it, it, it just talks about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So one of the most impactful things when I'm talking to moms is just to say, we don't need to live like this anymore. We may Mm -hmm. have been living like this our whole life, but we don't have to keep living this way. There is a way that God has that he wants to free us from it. And so really just having that hope that it's possible. Yeah, I love that. And I wanted to share just a small part of my experience with one of my births that I feel like came very close, very face-to-face with fear in a very visceral, all-consuming way. Obviously, childbirth is a huge deal no matter how you do it, no matter where it happens, no matter what the experience is like. Um, But I had... um, one of my babies at home and my previous births had all been at the hospital and there was just something about not being in a hospital that I was really afraid to experience. But also, um, I mean, the kind of the situation is I had a midwife for my fourth baby that I absolutely loved. She was the most supportive, most knowledgeable person that I'd had up to that point. And she was no longer doing hospital births by the time my fifth baby came around. So she was doing only out-of-hospital births, and for me, it was a decision. Do I find a different care provider and birth at the hospital, or do I go with this woman who has absolutely earned my trust and have this new experience at home? And that home birth, um, you know, there was a lot of things in that pregnancy that were just very unexpected. Um, I had gestational diabetes for the first time that I just did not see that coming. I had just a number of things that added up to wasn't quite ready for this, <laughs> you know? And um, so my first experience with a birth at home was like, there are no other options. Like, I'm not getting an epidural. I'm not, you know, and there's, these births are just so intense. Mine are extremely fast. And um, I mean, that's a blessing in a lot of ways because the agony is over sooner. But at the same time, during them, they're just so consuming. And fear was like, right at my throat the whole time. Like, you can't do this. You're not going to be able right. to do this. Like all these things in my mind. And I have to say that there's like just a very real experience of God's peace in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the commotion of that whole event that I was realizing I am in charge of the fear part of this. Yeah. I'm not in charge. I can't necessarily escape the pain of right. it. I can't necessarily like ensure every outcome or what's coming next or the next hour. Um, but I, I did experience in probably for the first time, just a real sense of power over the thoughts themselves. And I feel like you really speak to that in your book as well as just in your story. And I would love for you to talk about when you talk about the fear cycle, knowing that that's something that is, it's an ongoing, you can go around the circle again if you choose to, but that actual point of breaking, how do you step in and First of all, identify that fear is is the thing yeah. and also um, just kind of break yeah. it. Yeah, I call it a not letting the fear train leave the station. <laughs> 
Mm -hmm. And it really is uh, exactly what you said is identifying a fearful thought the minute that it it comes and not allowing Mm -hmm. it to start snowballing effect, you know, almost to the point where I'm sure that this has happened to you before, to many of us Mm -hmm. where we start physically reacting to this fearful thought that's come in our minds, right? Our heart rate starts going up a little bit. We start getting like nervous that, and then our stress Mm -hmm. level rises all because this fearful thought has come in, come into our minds. And so the first important thing to do is to identify when a fearful thought enters. And I always use the example of, uh, you know, a husband or a child is out and they're supposed to be home and they're not home yet. And you're sitting there and say, it's now 11 o'clock. They were supposed to be home at 10. What is the first thing that we think fearful thought pops into our mind, right? Mm -hmm. Something has happened. Something very has happened. They're not responding to my texts. They're not responding to my phone calls. Something Mm -hmm. bad has happened. Fearful thought entering your mind. And so step one is identifying to yourself. And I do, I do a lot of self-talk. So I kind of talk about that, you know, like having these in your Mm -hmm. brain conversations with yourself to say, Mm -hmm. okay, is this fearful thought that has popped into my mind, something that is based on something I know to be true, or Mm -hmm. is it based on something that could be true in the future? And whether it's, you know, a weird spot on my child. You know, I, I had one of those yesterday. Um, you know, giving him a tub. I'm like, what is that? What is that thing on him? Mm-hmm. You know, and then mm-hmm. of course, where does your brain spiral? And so, you know, it's not all of the time that we don't do something about you know these thoughts. Obviously, I'm gonna I am gonna call my husband, or you know, maybe I do want to you know take my child to the doctor next week. But in the meantime, I'm not going to allow fear to steal my joy or to steal my moments with with my people that I love. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. asking yourself, is this a current thought of something I know to be true or is it in the future? And if it is a future thought, then we have to reclaim the purpose that God has given us. And the purpose that God has given us is in the present moment. God has the past And he has the future is his job territory. Our only job territory is being faithful and obedient in the 60 seconds that we are finding ourselves in right now. And so I bring my mind back into what I know to be true. And then I start stating the facts of what I know. Mm -hmm. So for in the example of, you know, somebody's not home yet, I say, well, my kids are sleeping upstairs. My husband's Mm -hmm. not home yet, but I've not heard any bad news. And so I'm sitting on the couch, I'm watching a show, or I'm sitting on the couch and I'm reading a book. And those are the facts that I have right now. And then I start trying to um, do the Philippians 4 where it talks about, um, you know, bringing all your anxieties and worries to God and instead focusing on what you know to be true, what is good, what is trustworthy, what is praiseworthy, and really just start Mm -hmm. listing off in my head the blessings that I have in my life right now. And the idea is by uh, by the end of this mental process, your your heart rate has calmed, you've taken a deep breath, and you can then re- let God regain the space that that fearful thinking usually, you know, has the potential to spiral out of. I think that's so wise, and I appreciate how practical those steps are, and it's made me think of just how, in general, I have learned over the years and over many 
failures and falling down, um, not doing it this way, but just how to navigate negative emotions in general, whether it's fear or disappointment or something else. And I think many of those negative emotions are just a place that we're not meant to dwell in that place. Like if I feel disappointed, I, I need to acknowledge that I feel disappointed. But if I stay kind of you know, encircled with disappointment, that's something that could just really wreck not only a whole day, a whole week, it can wreck a whole season in certain relationships because I'm just living inside that emotion as opposed to acknowledging it and moving right. away from it. Right. I, I kind of think of it as kind of pushing up from the bottom of the pool, <laughs> like I'm pushing off of, I'm acknowledging, right. touching mm-hmm. this disappointment or this fear or whatever the emotion may be and moving in another direction and so I love the practical elements of that that you bring together in your book and what you just shared. And I would just love to hear a little bit more um, about life in your family and how your kids have responded to having lost their sibling. And what was that like in the in the months and years past? Yeah. Well, that was seeing my children walk through my pregnancy with Gideon and then getting to meet him. And going mm-hmm. through the grieving process was really one of the the biggest things that proved to me that my children are not ultimately are not mine to worry about. That you know mm-hmm. I want to go through all the motions that I can of being a good mom for them, and I'm going to do my best to love them and provide for them and teach them who God is and you know what His Word says. But at the end of the day, it's not my job to protect them. It's God's job and he's way better at it than I am because that was mm-hmm. one of my biggest fears when I first found out about Gideon, just imagining w- watching my children go through the pain of seeing my belly grow and having to you know, share with them that this baby wasn't ours to keep. It, it was unimaginable to me. I couldn't imagine watching my children go through that pain. And so that was the mistake number one, right? Is imagining it because fears always take God out of the picture. We imagine the pain Mm -hmm. and the hardship, but we don't imagine how big the Holy Spirit is and how much that he's going to provide. And so the kids were amazing. They, they loved on him when he was in my belly and they were all there to meet him when Gideon mm-hmm. came and they held him and they kissed him and Gideon got all the appropriate butt brother pokes <laughs> looking <laughs> at his toes and his belly and his cheeks Aww. and, mm-hmm. you know, really getting to hone in on the hope of heaven with them and mm-hmm. to say very really that mommy and daddy can't promise you tomorrow. We don't have that ability, Mm -hmm. but what we can promise Mm -hmm. you is eternity, that we Mm -hmm. don't have anything to fear in death or in this life because we are all going to get to be together in heaven. And so really getting the opportunity to really see that my fear shied me away from talking about death with my kids. My fear Mm -hmm. shied me away from even really talking about heaven because you can't talk about heaven without talking about death. And so really just seeing all of the things that fear was preventing me from doing as a parent and just seeing how good God is to be the one that take care of our kids during painful and difficult circumstances was really one of the proving things to me to finally say, okay, Lord, like, you're right. <laughs> I mean, you're always all right, but I'm finally going yeah. to believe that you are right. That um, no fear, you know, 
no fear needs to touch us here. Mm-hmm. I think that's so beautiful. And thank you for sharing what that time was like with your family. I'd love to ask kind of just a little bit out of that circumstance, kind of a more broad motherhood question, um, because you have so many boys and not that girls are in a completely different space, but I have a little bit of both in my family. I'm about to have my fourth son and um, I don't know what it is about this pending birth, but raising sons and their sense of adventure and their sense of danger and their, um, you know, just they, they're these large hearted young men. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts about how to navigate just those kinds of fears and motherhood. Like how do we help lead them towards wisdom and, you know, help focus their boy energy in positive ways. Um, That's just something that's on the personal side for me, but I just wonder if you have some thoughts about that. Yeah. Are you talking about boys like destructive nature, like with their behavior and their choices and their, and their bodies and all that, all that kind (laughs) of stuff? kind of like, I mean, I have a couple, so I'm like a little familiar, but I just, there's something about the coming of a fourth son that I'm like, okay, four boys in the house. (laughs) Just kind of all of a sudden really like, like, wow, this yes. is going to be such a huge job and obviously have to lean on God for his help and my husband for his partnership in that process. But um, it is something that just seeing how valiant hearted they are and how, I mean, I'm just kind of a risk averse sort of person. So when they're like these daring yes. climbing tall trees and doing all these yes. things, I just, it's oh not God. within my realm of personal experience. Oh, um, I'm just curious for your thoughts if there is a way that you particularly um, orient your heart or help lead your sons um, through what is their nature and their personalities uh, without letting fear step into that. Right. Well, it is a thought that I have on a daily basis, especially my youngest son, Samuel. I just feel like he has had a death wish on himself since the, since the beginning. I mean, he was my, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden, I've had five kids and all of a sudden I have a child that's walking around with a screwdriver and walking straight to an outlet. I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> what is it in you? Or a mouthful of pennies. Yes. I'm like, what yes. is what is happening here with you? So, yeah. and especially since he's kind of like my joy baby after Gideon, I just I just get this like sense that like the enemy is just like fighting for him, and so it really and it really guides my prayers. You know, mm-hmm. I really think that there's you know, we, we give prayer kind of like a backseat of like, well, if I can't do anything else, I guess I'll pray, but really just interceding. And so I pray for him and I pray for my sons and I pray about the future that is not mine to plan that I am like, Lord, I just feel like they are going to destroy themselves somehow, mm-hmm. whether yeah. it, you know, whether it's going to be with a crazy college thing or like a destructive, like, like you said, like, um, you know, you read books about boys and they talk about, you know, lighting things on fire and blowing things up. And I'm like, Lord, Lord, I just, I <laughs> do not know how to navigate this. And so I'm going to pray for two things. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and pray that you are will just go before them and you will protect them and you will be there for them in whatever craziness can happen. And then I also pray, Lord, that you would prepare me and equip me for mm-hmm. whatever I will need to navigate these circumstances with them. And, you know... It just it, and this is this is one of those things that 
is different for every family, right? And so I, with us, with our family and all of our boys, we have made the decision to try to make our house as fun of a place to be as anywhere in the world so that they will have all of the fun things to do here. And I don't mean like fancy things like trinkets. Yeah. And I just mean like, you know, my kids jump, my boys jump on the couches and they're constantly throwing football in the living room. And so I've just yeah. taken all my valuable things out of the living room, <laughs> you know, just try, <laughs> trying to make space, but, you know, also having boundaries for them and saying, listen, I, I have been tasked by God to protect you. And so if there's this X, Y, Z thing that I'm going to take from you or not allow from you to do this, this is why, but it is a constant navigation and it is just constantly realizing, um, really the power that, that young boys have and Mm -hmm. really just reminding myself of, um, of the power of prayer. And it's constantly, you know, arrow, arrow prayers with boys. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> on a regular yeah. on a regular basis, but it is a really yeah. it's a really real thing. For sure. I have a good friend who has a lot of children, several of whom are boys, and they have like a swing in their house yeah. that is like bolted <laughs> into the ceiling. Yeah. And they have like they do rollerblades in the house. Their house yeah. is a bit bigger than mine. I could not do that in my house if I tried. But it's just it was kind of funny. The first time I went over there, I was thinking, wow, this is very like just not something I thought was even <laughs> had never entered my mind. Right. To, like who does to this? Do, right. Yeah. As far as it's really, and, and you know, sometimes we don't have that available to us in the space that we live. But I just, I loved the example of how they just have embraced uh, knowing that their boys are going to be active and need a place to be able to do that. And we happen to live in a really um, dreary, rainy, wet <laughs> part of the country a lot of the year. And so um, making some of that indoor space available for them is really yeah. it's just kind of eye opening for me in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's okay to be, you know, I, I talk a lot about that in our fear, we have a choice and, mm-hmm. you know, it it's not to throw caution out of the window and to be destructive, but it's not to dwell on the fear. So like, yeah, I mean, obviously I want my boys to be safe as they can. And so I'm going to make decisions that I best that I know how, and then I'm going to, like you said, move on. I'm not going to dwell and overanalyze and uh, one of the things that I have had to do some self analysis of, and I think is good for everybody to do, is there's just some things that I can't do. I cannot Google infinitely. Infinitely yeah. Googling is just <laughs> my fear. So I look yeah. up the one or the two thing, and then I have to have the self discipline to say, okay, I'm done with the Google yep. or news. Yep. Like I, I just can't. <laughs> I can't do the news. Like my husband is yep. my is my educator because I have identified that my fear just really rises up high when I'm watching all the things. And so I've, you know, so it it is, it's understanding yourself and being okay with Mm. kind of like being a little bit of a a duckling if you need to in certain areas to protect your fearful heart and to say, this is a um, kind of like a temptation for me. And so this is not Mm -hmm. a safe place for me to be. So I'm going to allow myself the gift and the grace to not participate in, you know, and yeah. this or that to protect yourself from yeah. going in those fearful places. For sure. Mm, well, thank you so much, Maria. I would love for you to just share where people could find you online and any of your current or forthcoming writing projects. Yeah. How can 
our listeners connect with you? Yeah, well, thank you, Emily. It's just, I just love what you do. And I love this, this, these ministry to moms. And uh, so I'm, I have a website, it's mariafurlow.com. But really on Amazon, mm-hmm. you can find Breaking the Fear Cycle. And I'm really excited. August mm-hmm. is coming out. My next book, it's called Confident Moms, Confident Daughters. And it's helping mm-hmm. our girls handle insecurity and poor body image. And so, uh, you know, mm-hmm. confidence and insecurity has just been a really huge thing kind of you know this this fear journey that I've been on is is kind of like what you said it's originated big time during motherhood and I've had to navigate that but the insecurity thing started you know at age nine so (laughs) you know that's a a lifelong (laughs) a lifelong battle that that many of us many of us find ourselves on so yeah I appreciate that yeah well I hope our listeners will be able to check out your awesome book that is out and the one that is forthcoming and I just appreciate you spending time with us today thank you so much thanks Emily 